Hi, this is LGBTQ&A, where we get to know different members of the LGBTQ community. I'm Jeffrey Masters, and I'm here today with Ashley Dodge. Ashby is a therapist and the clinical director of The Trevor Project. Stay tuned. Hey, Ashby. Hey, how are you? I'm good. Thank you for being here. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Totally. I'm excited to talk. Um, So I said that you're the clinical director at The Trevor Project. If I'm being completely honest, I have no idea what that means or what that role entails. Uh, Could you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. So um, I run all of Trevor's crisis services programs. So um, I oversee the 24-7 Lifeline, the Trevor Lifeline, uh, our digital programs, Trevor Chat and Trevor Text. Um, So I have a staff that uh, oversees and manages a lot of those programs as well, um, as well as a huge group of volunteers um, that we use to work on those programs. So um, working on all of the crisis services and also doing all of our, um, a lot of our educational uh, outreach in terms of crisis services and clinical supervision. Oh, fascinating. And and so your background is in therapy. You also have a private practice on top of that? I have a small private practice. Oh, just a small Are you busy? In my free time, I do (laughs) have a private practice in in the city um, a couple days a week. All right. Uh, Rewinding many, many years ago, uh, maybe not that long. You're not that old. (laughs) Um, Why did you want to become a therapist to begin with? Um, I... My whole life, I had always wanted to be two things, an actress and a therapist. And uh, starting my career, I did acting for a while um, in my 20s, and I'd moved straight to New York City. And then um, I decided, you know what, it's time It's time to kind of do something more. So I, um, I went back to school. I got my master's in social work, and I started working uh, therapeutically. I worked a lot in sexual assault and domestic violence. Um, did some work in uh, substance substance abuse, and then um, worked with at-risk high school students. Um, and around that time was when I kind of found out again about Trevor and kind of went from there. Oh, gotcha. I recently learned that, like, the specialties that therapists have, I thought that those are just interest, and they can list anything they're interested in. I didn't know that you need special certifications for those. It really depends. Really oh, not, all, not every time. Right. It really depends. I mean, I think that you can, uh, these are things that I've chosen, areas I've chosen to work in um, that really interest me and, and that I love. Um, but, you know, depending on different facets of your work and of your licensure, you can choose to focus on different um, areas. Oh, but they don't always need uh, spe- like a no. advanced training. Right. I mean, you tend to get advanced training in things you're interested in. Oh, gotcha. I, I read that your clinical style is strength-based. It is. is it? Is it? You, it is. you smile. Is that? You read that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, it what is. What does that exactly mean? Um, it's just a strength-based approach is really just focusing on someone's uh, coping skills, uh, their own strengths to kind of bring them out of, of a dark situation um, and and kind of focusing on if someone is trying to, is going through a hard time, really looking at what can you put in place, what kind of systems, what kind of resources, what kind of things can you bring to their situation or or help them to recognize about their situation that can kind of show them that they have the tools they need to get through it. I I guess I'm wondering, like, how is that different than any other, like, system? Because, like, that sounds lovely and helpful and rational. That not everything is, like, is based on that, I guess, I'm wondering? I don't know. I mean, I think every, just like... I kind of see it as, as an artistry, but I think every artist, every therapist is different. And I think that, um, I think a lot of people work in strengths-based work. Uh, and I think some people choose a more analytical approach. Um, so I, 
I, I can't I can't really predict how other people work, but it is very common, and I, I think it is a very positive way to kind of try to to show folks what they have in front of them and be able to move forward. Gotcha. It's a very trendy thing nowadays, I hear, to say that everyone would benefit from therapy and seeing a therapist. As a therapist, would you agree with that? I mean, I just don't see anything, any downside to having someone objective sitting there and kind of talking through any situation with someone. So, I mean, I can't, I, I think probably most people would benefit from that. Whether you're talking about like uh, career changes, whether you're talking about uh, anything going on in your life, it doesn't have to be a crisis. But again, that kind of talking through decreases that anticipatory stress so that it doesn't become an issue. Yeah. So I think, I do think that most people would benefit from therapy. Gotcha. It's, it's all the people I know who are not in therapy that I'm like, maybe you should think about it. I, I only recommend somebody. Uh, I just think that, like, lately there's a willingness to see a therapist, but also to talk about seeing a therapist um, that I haven't seen before. Is Do you think that's new? Uh, it may be, and I hope so. I hope it's getting, I hope it's moving in that direction because that's just decreasing the stigma, the mental health stigma, that, that help-seeking behavior. We want to promote that kind of behavior, that it's okay to seek help, that it's okay to talk to a mental health professional or get the help you need versus kind of where it has been or probably where it is in a lot of parts of our country as well, where it's it's highly stigmatized and it's it's seen as, as a deficit. Uh, and that we don't want folks to see it that way, especially our young people, because then they will be less apt to ask for help. And then that puts them in a dangerous situation. Totally. And that leads us to talking about the Trevor Project. I find that so many people in and out of the community don't know what it is or don't know all of what it exactly encompasses. Um, Can you give us the brief rundown? Sure. I mean, the Trevor Project is the only leading national organization for suicide prevention and crisis intervention services for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, questioning, and queer youth ages 13 to 24, um, we are the only one in the country. So I find it interesting when folks don't know about us, and I think it's important that we we continue the outreach and we spread the word of who we are. Um, we have a pretty, a pretty good, uh, strong social media presence. We have a great website that folks should go to, thetrevorproject.org. Um, and and there's, such, there's so many resources on there. It, it outlines all of our programs. It outlines all of our initiatives, our education programs. Um, but a lot of, a lot of uh, supports are on there and, and resources in our Trevor Support Network, which is on our website as well. Yeah, and you mentioned it earlier, but there's, I didn't realize there's a chat function. You can text. Mm-hmm. How long is texting been around? Is that new? I mean, it's a new medium in general in the community. I think it's something that all, a lot of us uh, in, in the mental health community are really trying to uh, to access and, and move forward with um, because so many of our young people are wanting to reach out via their mobile devices, via computer, because it offers that distance that being on the phone sometimes usually does not. Yeah. Um, so uh, we have our Trevor text program, which is two days a week um, on Thursdays and Fridays. We have our Trevor chat program, which is the commu- on- online computer-based um, chat uh, crisis service. And then our lifeline, which is the 24-7 Trevor lifeline. And the Trevor space? Trevor space is a is an online peer support community. Um, and it is uh, only for, for our youth demographic ages 13 to 24. Um, and they can go on there and talk to their peers. They've created a profile. Um, it's it's monitored, so it's a safe, uh, a safer space and something that we monitor to make sure that folks on it um, are not being victimized and and 
um, operating in a safe way. Um, and it's a great space because they can go on there when they're not in crisis and talk through things with their peers and get uh, advice and get resources and, and just kind of talk through any issue that they would like to in in what we consider a safer space. Yeah, and to hear from kids their own age going through the same things. Right. Oh, that's so important. because Oh, because when they if they call in, they're not talking to anybody their age, usually, right? Well, maybe not. Maybe like the 13-year-olds probably right. aren't calling on the line. Right, exactly. So this is, this is more of a peer support. Oh, fascinating. And it's great. And, and so I think that we see with things like Facebook and with online communities, um, youth really feel more comfortable reaching out to folks their own age and reaching out online yeah. um, versus in person or versus on the phone. So um, we see a lot of folks uh, accessing help in that way. And again, it's before they get to that crisis level so they can really work through things um, before it gets to that. Totally. Uh, uh, you've mentioned a couple times that it's the Trevor Project is nationally accredited. Um, what, what does that mean? Well, we, you know, we feel really strongly about um, operating in a way that ensures be- best practices and, and really has that quality assurance that, that all of our work and services are in line with a nationally accredited body. We're accredited by AAS, which is the association, the National Association for Suicidology. Um, and uh, it's it's a, a huge accreditation, um, and it happens generally once every five years. We would get re- go for reaccreditation, so um, we're really proud of it. Uh, it it ensures that we are um, employing best practices in our work, but also um, there's varying levels. So you can also just continue to strive to be a better organization and to really kind of offer those services and open and outreach you know, with our services so it gets to that place that we want it to be. Yeah. Uh, for the people, the counselors who are answering the phones, is it hard not to enter those calls with, like, just preconceived notions and assumptions? Um, for example, if somebody calls and they're from the Bible Belt and they're gay and they're going through a breakup and they want to talk about the breakup, I feel like I would be like, okay, but you're in the Bible Belt. Like, it must be horrible, Right. <laughs> Like, is that hard not to, like, place those thoughts in there and those assumptions? I think it probably is hard for folks not to to bring in their own feelings to the work. Um, I think we we work a lot in our trainings to have people um, try not to make those assumptions in the work and really approach it um, very open-minded and in a very compassionate and open way to meet the young person where they are. You know, they might not feel that way. So someone's preconceived notion about, wow, that must be really hard to live there. They might be like, no, I've always grown up here. I love my home. Yeah. That would really disengage that moment if if you entered into it that way. So I think really we try to make an approach where we are meeting them where they are. We are here to listen and really take in what's going on for them and and to help them in any way that we can. So um, I would think for some folks it is very hard to erase those assumptions, but but we would try not to ever do that on the call with them. Totally. Um, one more assumption. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of people uh, that I talk to think that everyone who's calling is like actively like about to kill themselves or like thinking about it like right then and there. Um, that's that's not the case, is it? No, no we definitely, uh, we field a lot of calls and, and engage uh, in a lot of calls with folks who are not actively suicidal in that moment. Um, and because we are that only lifeline in the country that's doing this exact work, um, we deal with a broad spectrum of folks um, in varying levels and degrees of crisis or not, right? So if someone's calling and they are not suicidal, 
and they're very low risk and they're just calling to talk about a situation they're having at school or a situation with their family we talk through that with them and and we would always do our uh, you know a full risk assessment with every single call just to make sure uh that folks are are safe um but doing that kind of work and talking through those situations of anticipatory stress like i mentioned before really would would help to ensure that maybe they won't get to that place where they're at very at a very high risk for suicidality, um, and so that's the prevention work in the suicide prevention crisis intervention work that I'm talking about. That's the prevention work. It's ensuring that they maybe won't get to that place, and so that work is just as important as those active crisis calls. Gotcha. And then, and you shared with me before we got an air about uh, a statistic about being supportive. Uh, a supportive person reduces someone's risk of. Mm-hmm suicide by 30 percent yeah so I, I talk to people about that a lot because um you know when we're out talking to folks especially in the public and they're like wow you work in suicide prevention this is must be so depressing this is so hard what are we going to do and and with the state of things today and all of these things um you know how do we combat this i'm just one person like i can't handle this huge problem and and that's when I always jump in and say, but but you can, because you can be that one person that can hear someone when no one else will. No one. That's hard for most of us to believe that there are, there are young people out there that have no one that will hear them. And so to be that one supportive person, and the statistic you're talking about is one supportive person can decrease an LGBTQ youth risk for suicide by 30%. And when I tell that to people, that's an enormous number. That's a huge percentage. And so that really, I think, inspires people to, to say, you know what? Wow, I could do that. I could listen. I could be someone where someone, if they, if they need help, I can be that person that they come to. That's huge. It's huge. I, I think a lot, too, about the um, study that came out this summer. Uh, the New York Times was called Gay and Lesbian High School Students Report Heartbreaking Levels of Violence. But it was the um, Centers for Disease Control um, and Prevention. Uh, it was the first first nationwide study to ask high school students about their sexuality. Um, I, I want to read through some of those stats, actually, just because I think they're so um, surprising on my end and just large. But... Um, Nearly one in five lesbian, gay, or bisexual students say they've been raped. That's compared to one in 20 heterosexual. Nearly one in five said they've been slammed against the wall or another form of physical violence. That's more than twice heterosexual students. One in three said they've been bullied. One in 10 have missed school because of safety concerns. And then one in four said they'd attempted suicide in the previous 12 months. And that's compared to one in 16 for their straight students. That's 25% versus like 6%. That's a there's a massive number um, that these statistics didn't exist before this summer. Did they were they surprising to you? Unfortunately, they're not surprising to me. I mean, we do this work, and and granted, we do need more studies, and and I think we're actively working toward having a, a lot of this this uh, more specialized data accessible through these kinds of studies. But it it doesn't surprise me um, because what we hear in our work are a lot of these stories. And so um, when you're talking about um, an LGBTQ youth risk for, for, for suicide or for suicide attempts, we're looking at um, not the fact that they identify as LGBT or Q, but it's because of the external factors that come along with that identification and, and expressing that. So, um, and, and that's important, I think, for young people to know because, you know, I, I think very young people, and we're hearing this a lot also post-election, um, you know, folks are are so young and they're so scared now to come out and to 
be who they are and be that person. And they're scared. Does that, does that mean I'm going to be suicidal? Does that mean I'm going to be ostracized? Does that mean I'm going to be persecuted? No, that doesn't mean that. Your identity does not equal that because you're so many other things. So it's very important that we look at the external factors and we look at and we kind of dissect the situation and look at, okay, what can we combat here? What can we look at? How can we increase and create those coping mechanisms so that you can find the resources you need and that will help you get through this situation, no matter what our current situation is? Yeah. That's what's going to build the strength in those young people. Yeah. And you mentioned the election. There's been so many fake news stories out. Um, I, I mean, I have to ask, is are the ones about the high, uh, the increase in calls? Like, is, have you guys experienced that? We have. Really? We have. Um, directly after the election, I think the day after um, the election results came out, um, we had almost our highest volume, um, probably our highest volume in Trevor history. And it was people that were again, very worried about what to do. It was all of this heightened anxiety. And of course, when you're working on, you know, in suicide prevention, you don't want there to be added heightened anxiety to these already um, volatile situations. So um, we were seeing that and um, it's been, it's been consistently high. I mean, obviously it's tapered off a bit and, and plateaued, but I think really the new normal for us is going to be that that bit of a higher volume because of the uncertainty of, of kind of what's happening and as we enter into 2017 that that stress of what's going to happen so um, that's really scary yeah. if it's external factors yeah. that affect not if it is right it's not biology that makes people more prone um sorry mental health yes but not these external factors not every lgbtq kid it's not biology um if this is the new normal that's that, that doesn't like bode well it doesn't. Um, but again, we're still there doing our work that we always have been. And so because those assessments are so solid, because our approach and our protocols, I feel, are so, so full of integrity and compassion and, and, um, and again, going back to those best practices, we will still be here next year just like we are right now. That's not going to change. So those young people going through these things and because of the uncertainty – they can still reach out to us at any hour of the day and we will still be there with that same with that same ear yeah. with that listening ear so i think it's it's really important because um again a lot of our community work in our offices and, and our our staff and our volunteers are members of the community and what is difficult is we don't know the answers and we are members of this community also going through the uncertainty as as a lot of of us are in this country right now so we have to just work through what can we do with these young people? What, how, what resources can we point out? How can we kind of help them see a path that they can take that will, that will help their situation and just kind of, kind of go through it together? Absolutely. Yeah. Now, now I know the Trevor Project did not fund the study that the New York Times talked about, um, but it struck me as interesting that they only polled lesbian, gays, and bisexual children. There was no... Um, marker box for trans youth and um that was so surprising to me because the statistic that the trevor project has on the website tell me if i'm wrong says that 41 percent of trans people will try to kill themselves in their life that number is like nearly double the gay and lesbian kids it's it's huge and i think that there aren't um there aren't enough studies out there after that that will kind of 
help steer us in the direction of kind of talking further about the data. I know that there are a lot of, of studies that are um, trying to pull trans youth and, and trans people in this country. Um, they're just not out yet. Yeah. Um, so I know that there there is a movement in that direction. And I, I do believe that um, even studies like this are going working toward doing a gender identity, gender identity boxes and identification so that we can start to study those data, yeah. th- that data specifically. Um, but it is really hard and there's a huge need out there. And that's why, again, we want to try to focus on all members of that community, of our community. Um, and uh, because there's a huge need. Yeah, absolutely. Um, long term, I'm guessing the goal is to like, be out of business, right? <laughs> no one's calling. We're good. We're, we're a long ways from that. Um, but I think like the Trevor Project also is working on legislation, Right. Um, they sent another email I'm on the email list um, about the Mental Health Reform Act, which was passed in Congress. It's been sitting in the Senate. They've not put it up for a vote, but it has um, measures in there for funding for LGBTQ youth. So there are like things on the horizon. It's just like they're coming. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, you know, it's a constant. Uh, I don't want to say battle because that makes it sound I'll Almost say battle. Neg- <laughs> I can. You say net. You say battle. It's a constant battle. Absolutely. But you know, there, there's a constant effort of a move of movement forward. Yeah. And it's it's almost like a it's it's a journey in perseverance and in really kind of doing everything we can to address it address these issues from every angle, which is why we have uh, you know our our government affairs you know department and our our small DC office because we want to make sure that we are doing everything we can as as you know a crisis. Uh, suicide prevention organization to address all of these issues from every angle. Yeah. Um, I think, I, I don't know that we'll be put out of business yet because I do think there is a huge need, but but what we can do is try to really um, put the word out there of who we are, what, what programs we have, what resources are available in a lot of states and places in this country that, that still don't know about us. Um, and, I, and so I think that's a good direction for us to go in the, in the kind of coming the near future. Um, also really addressing the issues of intersectionality in our country and doing specific outreach to all communities. Um, because I think that, you know, it, our work in, in the, in America has been somewhat siloed even in the mental health community. And so if we can look at, um, putting our efforts toward working together and really, and really addressing that intersectionality, I think we would get a lot further and we would reach more people. Yeah. Yeah, I know the Trevor Project was not around when I was younger, but I had no idea that like call lines like this even existed at all. Um, we've been talking about the Trevor Project. There are many, many other ones. People can Google if they want. Um, how do kids find out about you? There's not like TV ads, you know? Yeah, I mean, we 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 do have a lot of ads. We have a lot of social. Like I said, our social media presence is pretty great. Um, we partner with a lot of organizations. Um, we do have a huge billboard in Times Square right now. Oh, really? We do. Um, so, so folks in Times Square see us. Um, no, but uh, you know, we really need to continue to work to get the word out there. But right now, I mean, which is very different from when I was younger. Social media is a huge, a huge deal. Yeah. So I think that that's a great presence that we have, and we reach a lot of young people through that and Twitter and Instagram, um, and, uh, and all those things the young people are doing now. Yeah, I've um, even <laughs> seen some YouTubers talking about it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That's huge. Yeah, they'll they'll do anything they say. <laughs> <laughs> they do have a, a, a broad reach. Yes. Um. But yeah. So so I think the social media route is a good way to go. That is awesome. Yeah. Um. 
Is there anything you want to plug or like send the people to before we like, uh, leave? Send them to the website. The number's on the website. We've not mentioned the number. It's on the website, thetrevorproject.org. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else you think people should check out if they're curious? I mean, I think I think our website is so, it's so great. It's so all-inclusive. There, it, Like I said, it outlines all of our programs, our lifeline number, 1-866-488-7386. Um, but it also has uh, our Trevor chat and Trevor text, Trevor space. It has that support center. So if folks, uh, parents, teachers, loved ones can go to that website and and get a lot of resources as well. So I do think it's a great direction to point folks in because you can get uh, materials sent to you. Like if you're teaching at a school in the country and you want to pass out different, um, you know, educational materials or pamphlets, we can send those to you. So I think I think it's it's just a great website, so I, I would urge folks to visit that first. Oh, I love that. That's a great idea for teachers, too. Mm-hmm. I always wonder about having a queer kid or a trans kid and, like, how to, like, how, how to, like, raise them. Like, am I going to be, like, putting on the trans list and, like, casually be like, hey, watch this documentary with me, um, you know, or, like, leaving books out with, like, queer characters. I think it's a... It's, I mean, you probably have better suggestions. <laughs> I mean... I'm I'm a very new parent. Oh, are you? I am. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, and I think that uh, I think I think parenting is hard across the board. Yeah. And I think that the more uh, the most compassionate and authentic and accessible you are to your family members and to your child, and again, you are that person who will hear what's going on for them because just because again, if they identify in a certain way, that doesn't mean all folks who identify that way have the same experience. Every person's experience is different. And so I think that's what's most important is to really listen to who this, who this child is because that's where you're going to make that connection and that's where, that's where you're going to create that relationship that will support them. So hopefully they will get the resources that they need through you. Totally. Ashby, that was a lovely answer. Thank, um, thank you for being here and joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely, yeah. And as we said, thetrevorproject.org. You can check out the website and we will see you next week. Goodbye. From executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other After shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.